This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 33 with guest Lubamila Jordanova. Hello everyone, I'm your host Daria Suvorova and welcome to today's conversation. Lubamilo Jordano is currently one of the most influential founders in the European green tech landscape. She's the co-founder and CEO of Plan A, a Berlin-based startup developing an end-to-end platform that enables companies to measure, monitor and reduce their environmental footprint. In today's episode, we understand the difference between carbon neutral and climate positive, we learn about the European Green Deal and how Lubamilo started her journey on fighting climate change. So with that, enjoy the conversation. By the way, we just launched a refresh of our website, so make sure to scroll through waa.berlin and subscribe to our newsletter. Hello, Lubamila. Very glad to welcome you today in the studio. Very much looking forward actually to speaking on why there's no plan B for our planet. Thank you so much for having me. As we speak of that, how did you come to realization that there's no actually plan B for our planet? My journey started a few years ago when I ended up finding myself on a beach in Morocco where instead of surfing, I collected trash. Uh, It was not supposed to be like this, but uh, just the environment was very polluted and I found this to be the best way to respond to what I had seen. At that point of time in my life, I was working in the finance field. I had been in investment banking, VC, and then fintech. And um, I was in fintech since kind of the industry kicked off. So I was in a very comfortable position, not necessarily seeking a change. But after this trip, I ended up uh, feeling quite shocked by how little I knew about pollution, how little I knew about the impact of humans on this planet and felt the need to educate myself. Uh, I spent close to a year learning about climate change, learning about how people actually already are suffering from that, and essentially conducted two experiments. Uh, One was building a data model that was looking into the worst performing environmental indicators, and then on the other hand, the money that were going into addressing them, only to find out that there was no positive correlation whatsoever, money were not going where they had to. And as a second step, interviewed more than 300 people to ask them about their opinion on climate change. You just decided to interview 300 random people. I picked up some friends. Uh, I was doing this on the side of my job. And this was kind of turning into hobby plus uh, a bit of a kind of bag of concern. And uh, I learned way too much in 2016 uh, about the problems that were ahead of us and decided to quit my job and build planning. So the result of the interviews is that many people were concerned or many people were not aware? It was quite funny and uh, at the same time devastating. Uh, The irony of it was that people were to some extent informed that there was something called pollution, that there was something called climate change, but they had the feeling that other stakeholders had more responsibility than they did. And if you were to speak to a governmental person, they would say businesses needed to do work, On the topic, if you would speak to citizens, they would say businesses needed to do work, but also governments. And then if you would speak to businesses, they would say, well, the governments have not given us policies. So everyone is just pointing other direction in the way. And do you think if you would do the same set of interviews today, have the story changed, have the narrative changed? Certainly. Well, at least I would hope so. Uh, Or at least in the bubble that I exist in, the answers would be different. 
People have learned a lot about climate change over the last few years. Uh, they've also developed their own sense of urgency for their own actions, which is quite admirable. Uh, but still, it is uh, significantly more Western affair rather than elsewhere in the world. Uh, there's many places on this planet that still don't think that climate change is part of the to-do list of governments, businesses or individuals. So how would you position yourself? Like before we speak about plan A, what is your ultimate role in this climate change fight? When I started working on the topic in 2016, I didn't find a lot of partners in crime, uh, didn't find a lot of people that would resonate with the idea that businesses needed to be put at the front forefront of addressing climate change. And I didn't feel threatened or insecure by this loneliness, but rather it empowered me to know that maybe someone needed to take this position and kind of drive this agenda and this shift in the mindsets as part of the puzzle, not necessarily as the only way to go forward. And I think since then I've been taking steps to educate people on the topic, to explain to businesses why they need to be uh, the leaders on this particular challenge that we have ahead of us. And also to engage as many different communities. Uh, I personally spent all of my free time, even on, on one hand, educating myself about climate change as we develop further knowledge through science and also experimentation and innovation. But then on the other hand, I spent the rest of this time uh, on getting people excited about the fact that we still stand a chance uh, to be saving humanity. And now we speak a little bit about Plan A, actually not a little bit, a lot, because I am really trying to understand what have you built, how you've built it, and with which companies do you usually work with? Because I know that you are providing software as a service to the companies that want to offset their emissions. So let's get into it. Plan A has started as a concept, as a vision, as a movement, uh, and now is a software company that has been able to work with hundreds of corporates, but also with small companies to enable them to transition uh, to a more sustainable business model. We have been building various products, and I would like to highlight uh, two of them. One is an algorithm that predicts where and how climate change will hit the hardest. This is what we worked on from 2017 till 2018. This is a climate risk tool, a tool that enables businesses to understand how their supply chains as well as their infrastructure is going to be impacted by climate change. Which data you look at to make those predictions? It's uh, more than 300,000 data points related to oceans, forests, wildlife, sustainable living, sustainable energy and waste management. Why we kicked off with this was because through the experimentation that I did before kicking off Plan A, I learned quite quickly that there was not enough money going into environmental issues and companies were not able to identify how much they had to lose if climate change was really to impact their business. So we put together with our scientific team, which is at the core of everything that we've been doing at Plan A, this tool that essentially enables a deep dive into the 20 to 30 year horizon for your business and the vision for you transitioning without losing that much money. Because ultimately, for those that decide to not uh, take any action today, there is going to be an effect on the bottom line. You mentioned the scientific team. So how big is your team right now and how many people are part of the scientific team? The Planet team is 60 people now and three quarters of uh, the 60 are in product, tech and science. 
one quarter of the whole team is scientists. And oh, these wow. are climate data scientists, life psychoanalysts, uh, people with climate modeling expertise, and also people with de decarbonization capacity. That's pretty exciting. So you have like a pretty solid rock band right there. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And it has been incredibly important for me to embed this mindset in the company since day one, because all of the learnings that I gathered within the year that I was educating myself about climate change pointed out that science was giving us already so many recommendations on how we can improve, but we were just not using them. And it felt a bit of a waste of talent, waste of knowledge, if this was not to be part of uh, the, the core of the foundation of our company. In the industry analysis, so that you collect and do you share this publicly or this is only catered to some of the companies you work with? What do you usually do with this data you collect? The data that we've been collecting is on one hand internal to the companies that we work with. On the other hand is external where we use industry benchmarks and we've developed our own data sets, which can allow us to predict even When a company doesn't have a certain data point, what should this data point be for this particular geography, industry, and so on? What we do this for is to enable the businesses to really get a full-fledged perspective on what their performance is or what it could be if they're to improve themselves. I see. So let's get to the second product that you offer, which, as I understand, helps businesses to monitor, reduce, and offset their emissions, right? It is with big emphasis on the reduction. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a decarbonization and ESG improvement platform. Uh, we have been building this since 2018, and we were the first platform to actually uh, launch this kind of product, which has allowed us, first of all, to go quite deep into developing capacity and understanding all the intricacies of a business, all the details, uh, the assessment of the suppliers, the assessment of the investments, and so on. And essentially be able to then, based on this analysis, give automatically recommendations for how the companies can improve. So in simple terms, what the product does is it gathers a lot of data about the business. It puts it against other uh, industry benchmarks. And then it tells the company, okay, if you want to get to net zero by 2030, 40, 50, this is the pathway that you need to go on now. And these are the different activities you need to take on uh, to be able to reduce your emissions and to be able to improve. And finally, of course, as there's a lot of changes on a regulatory level, we support the companies in the reporting itself. How do they realize that they need to speak to you? Because I can imagine a lot of companies are not tracking their carbon footprint. They don't know whether they need to track. Is it like going to psychologists that you really have to be ready for it and you cannot force <laughs> people and companies to come to you? Like, who are your companies? How do they realize that they need to reach out to you for your support? How do they really start this work? It's important to go a few steps back in actually understanding how did this whole industry evolve. For decades, there's been sustainability consultants who have been there to support businesses and help them with CSR activities, which is how the industry maybe would have been called a few years back. There's been also consultants that have been there to calculate the emissions for companies because legislation has requested this for the largest companies for a long time now. What has changed, though, in the last few years is that, first of all, now the detail with which you need to calculate emissions that is expected on a law level is a lot higher. And as a second step, there's been a lot of pressure coming from investors, employees, customers, 
asking any company that wants to be considered by someone uh, for their products and for their offerings to become more transparent on what's their impact. As the common understanding of sustainability and climate change has increased, so people's concern has increased. And with this in mind, they've expected responsibility for those that they give money to. So going to your question in terms of the typical businesses that come to us, um, we have definitely seen a few different waves. First one is the ones that have been impacted by the EU Green Deal. This is in particular uh, the legislation uh, and the framework that the EU put out in 2019 that was particularly focused on uh, setting a framework for reporting, but also for the 2050 carbon neutrality agenda of the EU. In order for the EU to be able to achieve that, of course, it needs to get businesses on board and get them actually to start reducing and reporting on their emissions now. The second wave that we've seen has been the B2C one. This is businesses that sell clothes or electronics or anything that you can buy in a shop. These businesses have been impacted by the fact that consumers, are not only consumers, but they're also maybe activists in Fridays for Future. Maybe they're part of communities that are focused on climate change. And with this, they have been making purchasing choices that are more sustainable. Any business could be sustainable, but they cannot prove it until they actually measure and also set out an agenda for uh, their clients, employees and suppliers. And that's where also the need for our product comes in play. And then the final wave that we've seen is the one that is particularly related to investors. We work a lot with the financial institution and the financial sphere and there's the ultimate understanding that financial risk is climate risk. Climate risk is financial risk. There is a lot, and I wouldn't go into a lot of details because it might get quite confusing, concern for the fact that the fossil fuel industry with all the subsidies that it receives at the moment is actually significantly overvalued. And as we transition to renewables, as we also stop all the use in a negative way of the lands uh, to try to find oil and so on, because of the shifts in legislation, so will the fossil fuel industry reduce in value. And with this in mind, investors have been trying to divest from these industries and remove themselves from the potential loss of revenue, loss of uh, value of assets, because of uh, where also the whole industry, the whole society is moving. Some examples, just to make it even more practical, N26, Flixbus, uh, for the fast scaling companies, uh, Grover, Societe Generale, banking sector, we work with quite a few private equities like APAX. This uh, is some of the companies you work with. These are clients of ours. We work with um, a lot of uh, different also fashion companies. Ghani is one of our clients. Uh, Two Thirds is another client. And many, many companies that have come to us because of one of those reasons that I gave, but ultimately because we, they want to go on this sustainability journey. What was your position and situation in the market before 2019 and after the Green Deal went live? It's a really important question because there has been definitely a lot of impact for the listeners that are maybe not familiar with the EU Green Deal is a set of recommendations, but also policies, laws, and also uh, frameworks for reporting that have been uh, outlined by the EU that have been uh, essentially now implemented one after the other across the block to enable the EU to transition to a more sustainable model and ultimately be the only continent that has a unified understanding of what does really this path to net zero mean. 
2019 was a very instrumental year. We did feel like the sustainability topic could become less important just because there was a lot of panic because of COVID. But the EU Green Deal proved us wrong in a way, proved the whole industry wrong because it kind of kicked off the pandemic uh, with also a big commitment for a sustainable transition post-pandemic, even during the pandemic. We've seen a lot of businesses panicking. <laughs> We've gotten a lot of phone calls from uh, mutual funds, from private equities, from other types of companies, essentially telling us we don't know what to do. We don't understand how this is going to impact us. Please tell us what we need to be doing. Amazing. You're not just a platform. You're not just connecting with other products and services out there. You're also consulting. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no consulting. We definitely just hold uh, kind of the hand of someone that is concerned until they start using the software. <laughs> okay, holding a hand. Let's call it this way. Uh, but it's important to actually explain that uh, Planning has taken a very different approach than anyone on the market. There's a reason why we're only 60 people, because we just don't do consulting. Uh, we don't do this whole uh, thing of we're going to take your data, we're going to do the analysis ourselves and then return back with a report. We really have been focusing on I mean, here is your login. You do your work for, you <laughs> exactly. do your work for them. That's yeah. amazing. But yeah, 2019 has been an amazing uh, year for, I think, the whole industry because sustainability was put on the maps of Europe and uh, Europe also claimed the position to be a leader in the space. That's good. Would you say Europe is uh, a leader in this world? Yeah, and it is to some extent uh, disappointing that we need to have a leader because you would hope that the whole world would be jumping on the agenda of sustainability right. altogether because... We always need to remind ourselves that climate change is a global issue. It's not an issue absolutely, that absolutely. is only Europe-wide. Yeah. But Europe is definitely taking the lead on setting policies and frameworks for how we can transition. Do you know how US is doing? Because there's also many initiatives running. The US is doing okay. Biden is unfortunately approving more activities for oil digging and exploration than Trump even which was a news that came out this week. And it's quite sad because as much as you could be pushing other agendas at the same time that maybe are sustainable and can make headlines and be perceived as you taking a lead on that, ultimately uh, it's one step that is definitely going five steps backwards. The U.S. has been speaking about potentially launching some greenwashing laws that's still just in discussion. There's certainly movement uh, on, I would say, the more commercial side of the story where businesses are taking a stance, making net zero commitments. But I would say in comparison to Europe, the industry is a lot uh, further behind uh, in terms of the actual changes that have happened, not only on the legislative level, but also on the business level. And that brings me to the two other terms, net zero and climate positive. So when are you actually climate positive than just neutral? <laughs> So net zero is actually what we aim to support our clients on. And this is essentially calculating the emissions, again, scope one, two, and three, then setting out a pathway to be able to reduce as much as you can by becoming more energy efficient, by eliminating waste, by also maybe substituting certain suppliers that are not so sustainable with more su sustainable ones. And then as a final step for whatever is not possible to reduce, there you compensate. But, of course, the compensation, you can imagine, is just a fraction of what, in the case of carbon neutrality, it is. And then climate positive is when your company, with its own activities, is actually creating positive impact. And it's actually eliminating the waste. It's actually eliminating energy inefficiency and is 
going, of course, throughout all these steps that I listed uh, before in terms of reducing and but you act as a etalon as a, a template for what really climate positivity should stand for. Do you know any companies that are climate positive, maybe here in Berlin, Germany or... I would not want to name any because I feel like uh, any of the claims that have been made for climate positivity have uh, still a long way to go even to become net zero uh, before they can go into the climate positivity. But let's sphere. say climate positive is like going extra mile. This is really the goal of every company probably, right? That we want at some point every company, every corporation to be climate positive to really make like sustainable impact and fight climate change. Ultimately, I'll give an example of one of our clients. Uh, it's a fashion company from Scandinavia called uh, Ghani. Uh, today, they were announced that they've uh, received the Progress Award by PETA. Uh, PETA, as we know, is the animal rights organization that goes to fashion shows and throws red paint uh, on leather and so on. And they've been doing a big job of speaking about animal cruelty and also getting companies to transition to more uh, sustainable options. And What Ghani got this award for is actually having achieved within a year the most amount of progress in terms of uh, reducing waste and also substituting certain types of materials with more sustainable ones. They have been phenomenal. It's been so incredible to work with them because they are kind of this yes woman uh, that essentially is looking into making change anywhere possible. They make shoes out of grape waste. They uh, use tires to make basically products that have some plastic elements to it. And many, many examples like that. If you go on their website and you see their sustainability report, this is something uh, we have, of course, like uh, put together with them. You see so much commitment uh, and really kind of a no excuse approach, uh, which I appreciate a lot. This is great. I mean, and it's great that we have like some example, like some benchmark to look forward to. I think that also helps people to really understand, okay, how does the good looks like? I would like to talk a little bit now about your long-term vision and what's ahead of you, because you just raised, I mean, that was a few weeks ago, a few months ago, 10 million US dollars Series A from HV Capital. And uh, congratulations on that. I think it's a huge milestone. What do you envision to do with this new funding? What's really big plans for Plan A in 2022? First of all, thank you so much. We're incredibly happy to have partnered with HV Capital, which is ultimately the VC with the most amount of unicorns in Europe, which is uh, kind of hopefully a testament of where we're headed as well. We have been experiencing a just ridiculous growth over the last few months. We closed seat in 2021 and also Series A in 2021, purely because there's just been so much movement on the market. We work now with more than 400 businesses from all around the world, quite a few of them uh, really big ones like BMW, for example, and others just that have uh, a lot of work to do on sustainability, not necessarily because they're incredibly unsustainable, but just because you're kind of unpacking a whole business model and you're shifting it to a more... 400 companies and the team is 60 people. Wow, you guys are having a lot of work to do. Yeah, but that's the beauty of having a product that does the work for you. You don't need to actually be doing one-to-one -one, uh, conversations with each one of them because the product does that for you. The plan for 2022 uh, is really big. We've already opened offices in Paris, London, Munich, uh, and of course we have one in Berlin. And we're expanding those significantly. We're going to be close to 200 people by the end of next year. And uh, we're looking into, in particular, focusing 
all of the efforts for our clients and the way the product is scaling on the decarbonization bit, where at the moment, uh, and this year, there was a big, huge, actually, milestone on our side in terms of getting close to a million in tons of CO2 processed through the platform, which is huge because this is ultimately kind of a piece of Germany in terms of calculating the emissions for it. Um, and I can comfortably say that out of all the carbon accounting platforms that you can find elsewhere, uh, we have the most amount of CO2 emissions processed, which demonstrates the size of the companies we work with. Having said that, one thing is to calculate the emissions, then what do we do? you do after? So far on the platform, we've been able to achieve around 7% average reduction in terms of what clients get to. But we want to really push this to 30 to 40%. With large companies, the commitments that they've made, uh, it normally goes to 2060, 2050, uh, which obviously is not next year. But for the mid-sized companies, there's the possibility through agility, through really putting emphasis on sustainability for the bigger numbers to be achieved. So kind of averaging out the different size of the companies, we really want to get to a 15 to 20% average reduction on the platform for next year and ultimately be able to scale this then uh, by the end of the year also across the U.S. as well. Also across the U.S.? Wow, impressive. We're going to be launching by the end of next year in the U.S., so uh, we already have quite a few clients that have offices and branches in the U.S. So we have been working with U.S. entities for a while now, mm -hmm. but we don't have an office there. And uh, we just do a late night uh, sales phone calls <laughs> when we need to speak across the different time zones. Intense times ahead, but also very exciting. You know, being climate cautious, working in this sector, I can imagine it's very important also for you to choose the right investors. We have similar visions to yours. So, Lubamila, how do you pick your investors and what support do you ultimately look for in your investors? It's an incredibly important question that often gets to be ignored because startups are actually seeking money as fast as possible because they need to grow and because there's competition. We don't think in this kind of manner, and I would highly recommend for anyone that is listening and considering getting funding to really think twice before they put someone their cap table Picking investors is really the same sensation as picking a life partner, uh, picking someone that you get married to uh, or someone that you decide to spend your life with. Not because the investors are always going to be part of your life, especially if you do an exit or if you do an IPO uh, or uh, an exit through an acquisition and so on. But the investors are there to support you on making decisions. And the more money you get from them, the later stage the investment is, the more power they actually have in defining the outcome of these decisions because they maybe own more than half of the company. And with this in mind, um, you really want to pick investors that trust your leadership, that trust your capacity to be not only a good founder that has an idea, but someone that can execute. With this trust, they're going to allow the space for you to be creative, to pick up some initiatives and then be able to implement them. And even in a moment when you are suggesting something that might feel a bit more controversial or like this is out of line with the strategy we've set out for them to know that you know best. The second thing that you pick them up for is for the cases when you don't know best. Investors should be your partners in a moment of uncertainty uh, to give you guidance on how you would resolve the situation Without going into a lot of detail, because it's a bit maybe confidential, uh, HV has been so incredibly supportive on us setting out our strategy now for the coming, uh, not only year, but just the next five years, knowing how fast the space is moving. 
and them being so successful in scaling businesses across different sectors can apply this to our sector as well. We're one of the few climate tech investments that they have made. And we wanting to really build a sustainable business from an economic perspective, trust that they can apply their knowledge from the business spheres that they've supported previously to our space, to our industry. And then the final element, which I think is kind of, again, more qualitative, but it's ultimately, uh, I think, for me, one of the most important ones is, do you align in terms of values? And I cannot speak highly enough of the investors we have behind us. We have SoftBank, we have uh, Demeter, we have HV Capital, Keen um, and Coparian. Um, and ultimately, I like these people. I love working with them. And they uh, are people that I can go and have a glass of wine with. They're people that I can uh, call in a moment of sadness when I need support because maybe I'm not feeling comfortable with something that has happened. And they would be there to support us through the journey in the way and the mindset that the company has been set out, which is ultimately addressing climate change and being there to support businesses on their path uh, to become net zero. The VC game is a money game. And cynically enough, startups sometimes don't understand this because they think that someone is giving them money in a more charitable manner. If you understand this well and you pick your partners well, uh, while you're building a business that also is going to bring returns for the VCs, you also can have fun. You can build something that is meaningful and also actually create impact. For me, what's most surprising is that you're very transparent. You can be transparent. And I think that's a different kind of relationship. Most of the people think, okay, if I have an investor, I should impress them. I should really have this business talk. But it's incredible that you are very comfortable about being transparent and honest. I think it's part of who I am. If you ask any of the employees of Plan A, I have a very candid approach for any challenge. Like I prefer always when we have a problem that we open up about it, we discuss it, uh, we get it emotional maybe, but we ultimately come to a conclusion of how we're going to address it. I think investors are there to be impressed maybe before you get them to sign off, but then through the process, you need to be incredibly transparent about the numbers, about like where you headed, about what are the challenges, because they should act as a resource for you. They should be there to also give you uh, recommendations on how you can improve. And if you haven't given them transparency on what is to be improved, they cannot act upon it. I was two nights ago at a dinner with a very good friend of mine, an investor in the climate tech space, and he told me that uh, he was incredibly disappointed as part of a due diligence process that had happened a few weeks before, where the startup was impressive on a product level. They had something that was really tangible. It was really great. It, it, it was really meaningful as well. And ultimately, they spent like a month educating themselves, like deep diving, doing the due diligence. And what they found out that at the end was that the guys lied about some of the numbers and they had sugar coated how much actually it, it's going to cost to build the product uh, and had hidden some of the costs actually. And when the math doesn't make sense, like what they ended up doing, of course, was saying no. And that's an example of why you should be transparent about where you had it and what the problems are. As we're wrapping up, my question before the very last one is, I can imagine there's not much free time you have as a founder, CEO, and with so many expanding plans for next year. But if you would go traveling somewhere, what's your go-to location? Where do you, you know, embrace our mother nature? I think I have uh, one place that I've not been yet to, and I have uh, a lot of admiration for what uh, the genius of nature has been able to create, and that's Madagascar. 
Madagascar is the place which has the highest density of biodiversity uh, in terms of types of species and also in terms of just diversity of species worldwide. And uh, this is also the home of my totem animal, the lemurs. Uh, who, it's your totem animal? Yeah, yeah, honestly, like when I started planning, like this was the constant dream that I was having in vision when I was meditating and so on. <laughs> They're going extinct at 98%, which is really sad. Uh, and that's because of poverty, which demonstrates that climate change is also a societal issue. It's a social issue, not only one of an environmental uh, incapacity and degradation. And I, I would want to go there. But you just put me on a grass that there's no sounds of the city. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And the last question for today, uh, Lubamila, who is your woman author of achievement? Jane Goodall. I had the honor this year, amongst all the other things that have happened this year, to actually uh, host a fireside chat with her. Um, for those of the uh, listeners that don't know Jane Goodall, she's an environmentalist, a scientist uh, that had to fight with a lot of controversy and uh, a lot of discrimination in the beginning of her career. She is the person that actually explained in a scientific way that animals have emotions and animals are not just numbers, which was how they were labeled when at the times when she was starting her career. And they actually could be and should be respected for their emotions. She actually did studies on chimpanzees and uh, is known for that. Um, and she had a very particularly challenging career in the beginning because she was not educated in a way that essentially, uh, or she was not in a society where she was expected to go into higher studies and so on. And because someone believed in her, she got access uh, to do uh, a PhD in Cambridge University. And that took her on this journey where she was able to explore the chimpanzees and the way uh, she's been living her life, the elegance with which she speaks, the commitment she has made to nature and consistency with which she has been engaging different communities, to me, serves as a testament for um, any environmentalist and uh, the importance of their work. And I would hope that one day when um, my work is judged, the same impact is uh, hopefully being associated uh, to, to it in, of course, the business context. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lubamila, for uh, mentioning her. Definitely a new name on my list. So uh, good to know amazing women that are making a change in this world. And thank you for this conversation. I am so impressed. And so many people have been telling me you are a must speaker, must guest <laughs> on the show. And I cannot agree more. I learned so much today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.